This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. AutoLine This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode. Hi, I'm John McElroy, and welcome to AutoLine This Week. You know, everybody's fixated on electric cars and they know a lot about them and what's going on there, but there's a lot of questions about the charging infrastructure to support electric cars. We're going to be getting into that today because my two guests include Sarah Nielsen. She's the Executive Director of Transportation, Renewables, and Storage at Consumers Energy, which is a utility in Michigan. And Mark Lenave is the President of Charge Enterprises. He's also got a tremendous automotive background having worked at General Motors, Ford, and Allstate Insurance. Sarah, Mark, thank you for joining me today. Glad to be here. And so uh, let's start out. Mark, I'm going to throw the first question to you. You know, one of the things holding back sales of electric cars right now is the public's worried. Where am I going to be able to charge in, uh, plug in and charge these things? And we know that thousands of charging stations are going in place. But my question is, What's your gut feel? How many charging stations, public charging stations, do we need in the U.S. market to support an EV fleet? It's a great question, uh, John. And uh, I could tell you that there's a lot of education that needs to be done, you know, with businesses and uh, the, the car buying public, fleet companies, et cetera, around EVs and EV charging. Uh, and, and my company, we spent a lot of time doing that. Uh, over half the, the, you know, a lot of people that have bought an electric vehicle has been mainly Tesla to this point, but others, you know, Ford GM, obviously, the luxury uh, makes are coming on. They're rather expensive vehicles at this point. So a lot of the customers have the means to put a level two charger in their, in their garage, uh, you know, which should, you know, 30, 40 miles per hour. So overnight you can get a 300 mile. Most of the vehicles are about 300 mile range. You can get that charge, but over half the vehicles, uh, it's like 53% of, of the vehicles in the country are not garaged at night. So they're going to need, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, a public solution. And it, it really has to be a fast charging solution. I mean, a, a hotel chain, and we're talking to some of them, they could do level two, like say a Marriott or a Hampton Inn could do a level two charger. You could charge overnight. They're going to have to start installing those. If you figure customers are going to show up in an electric vehicle, they're going to need to charge overnight. But other than that, you're going to need these fast chargers that can do 100 miles, 150 miles in 10, 15, 20 minutes. Those what we call direct current uh, chargers. And they're going to need to be at office buildings, at apartment complexes, at Home Depots, at local supermarkets, at fast food restaurants. And and we're talking to all those uh, all those potential channels. And uh, it's not, um, you know, it's not a. a it's a, it's a pretty significant investment in some cases. So there's going to be a bunch of business models on how to pay for this. Uh, obviously, there's $7.5 billion in the government uh, infrastructure bill that was passed dedicated to fast charging. I believe that will get largely deployed through the states who work with the local utilities like Consumer Energy, Sarah's company, and as well as businesses. And it's going to be exciting, but thousands of these need to come in in terms of the DC fast chargers and uh, it'll put strain on the grid. That's got to get worked out. Uh, new technologies will come in in terms of the actual charging units. I believe the, the future is the ones that can buffer. In other words, can store the energy taken at non-peak times and then can distribute it, you know, at the customer's uh, discretion. But it's going to be uh, really interesting, the cooperation between OEMs, the, the, the charging manufacturers, utilities, local, state, municipalities, and then companies like ours are directly involved with the infrastructure. 
uh, it's going to be exciting, and uh, I'm having a lot of fun working on it. Sarah Consumers is actually uh, helping to install a bunch of these chargers. Isn't that right? And and my other question that goes along with it, as all these charging stations come on board, is the grid going to be able to handle it? Yep. Yeah, John. So, yeah, we, through our Power My Drive program, we have um, enabled over 1,300 rebates for chargers to get installed. That's all the above at home. Um, and then out in public, the uh, level twos and the DC fast chargers that Mark mentioned. Uh, so we are very busy helping customers figure out where and where, where they need to charge and enabling them to do so. Um, to the point around, yeah, is the grid ready? I think both of you already mentioned that today. I think that's one of the big, big questions. Uh, the answer is the grid, the grid will be ready. If every single vehicle today magically converted overnight, that would cause a problem. But this is something that we see coming we are actively working on this every day. And ultimately, it's a it's a serving the load issue, which is something that is a core competency for a utility. Uh, we did it back in the 30s with electrification. We did it with air conditioners. So it's something that we are going to be ready for. I think for us, what's helpful is to think about what kind of load. And I think that's unique about electric cars compared to like my examples about air conditioners. Um, as Mark already mentioned, a lot of people don't have overnight charging. So for them, they're gonna need a solution that's out and about uh, that might need to be a DC fast charger. That has a different impact on the grid than the more than half of the folks who are at home overnight. So I think we have to think about those different use cases. Um, and while there are a lot of people who don't have overnight charging, there are still a lot that do. And those are the ones as a utility that we are most excited to work with to educate and encourage them to charge overnight when we do have that extra capacity. Uh, that really enables um, the biggest wins for them and for all of our grid customers to be able to use that extra energy that's already there. But we're prepared for that. We're prepared for the middle of the day. You know, you're on a road trip. You need that extra surge. We're prepared for both. And I think, John, I think building on what, what Sarah had to say, too, the point about, you know, the, the, the fleet in the U.S. isn't going to magically convert over to electric vehicles today. I mean, it's like 7%, I believe, 5 to 7% of the U.S. car park right now. Probably a million or more coming on in additional terms of new production. But let's say every vehicle produced in 2035 is an electric vehicle, which a lot of people are predicting. You would have 75 million electric vehicles. You'd still have 200 million ICE vehicles. That's in, that's in 12 years from now or 13 years from now. So... Uh, just like the cell phone, when the, when the smartphones came in, you know, it, it, it grew over time. And then all this infrastructure support, in fact, my company's involved with that, with 5G uh, infrastructure support as well, that that came on. It, it progressed every year as usage of, of cell phones and mobile phones uh, increased. So there's, there's some time, not all the time in the world, and I believe the charging infrastructure has to be out in front of the vehicle park a little bit to, to so people don't have range anxiety and feel like there's a very, very viable solution to get charged. But there is, I think, time for the two to grow, you know, harmoniously together. Yeah. You know, uh, it's very interesting that you mentioned, I was not aware of that statistic. Half the cars in the nation are, are not garaged overnight. So those people may not have a place to plug in. One of the, the appeals of electric cars, of being able to charge at home, of course, is that Electricity is far cheaper than gasoline, at least at residential or commercial rates. You know, I, I, I think if you include all taxes, transfer fees and things like that, at, at my house, I, I'm paying something like 18 cents a kilowatt hour. So if I figure it out, this is a very basic rule of thumb, of course. Uh, 
Charging at home cost me about a dollar twenty a gallon gasoline equivalent. That's fantastic. I love exactly. it. But I hate to say public charging is a lot more expensive, two or three times more expensive. Is there anything that can be done for those kinds of consumers, or is that what it's going to take? I mean, I, I've personally seen um, public charging at fast charging, especially 34 cents a kilowatt hour, 42 cents a kilowatt hour. You know, if I'm somebody who can't plug in at home, maybe I'm not so interested in an electric car at that point. What do you guys think? Sarah, you yeah. want to go first, sir? Sure. Yeah, I, I think it's a fair point, John. And um, again, it, it's kind of this all of the above situation. So what I would say is um, for the folks that are never going to have overnight charging, uh, you know, maybe they live somewhere where they've got street parking for that type of thing. Um, I do think you'll see mo new models developed for that type of folk who, um, if they were able to charge their car overnight, that's where that any utility in the country would say, that's where we, when we want you to charge um, because we've got so much capacity for you ready there. Um, but that can change as well. You know, as we get more solar onto the grid, we have a lot, we're going to have a lot more power in the afternoon. So it could be that you'll start to see cheaper times to, to charge in the middle of the day because that's when the solar is online. So I think it's a moving target. Um, I do think that uh, it's a supply and demand issue. So if you are, if it's the middle of the day when demand is the highest, and you need that quick charge, you may always end up having to pay a little bit for that. But we also see other situations where um, like retailers are signing up to cover that as an amenity. Uh, Mark mentioned hotels, like they're looking at that, you know, covering these things as amenities or like for city parking, you can do that instead of you can get free charging if you pay for parking. So there's a lot of different business models people are exploring here. Yeah, that's exactly right, um, Sarah. And, and John, the other the, the other part of it is I, I mentioned it briefly is we're talking, see, charge enterprises, we, we handle EV inf, uh, uh, charging infrastructure, design, project management, installation, uh, repair and maintenance, but we're equipment agnostic. Uh, and then we're, we're somewhat software agnostic. So we, we'll source from any of the, of the, what we call the, uh, you know, EVSE uh, OEMs, the people building uh, these units. Some of the technologies we're looking at now uh, are really sensational where, and in fact, we're working on an alliance. I can't mention it because it's not done. I was hoping to be able to do it with a with a company right now that the, the the electricity is stored in a unit. It looks like the size of your air conditioning compressor outside. You know, it's not huge. And then so it can it, it sucks in and stores electricity at the absolute cheapest non-peak hours. Then it can have up to six hoses, you know, on either one unit, you know, with two hoses or up to three that can dispense dependent on the vehicle because you know, the vehicle is going to be able to accept it. 100, 150 miles in 15 minutes. And when it dispenses it, it doesn't matter what time of day because the mm -hmm. energy was stored at the non-peak hours. And this is just a couple years into the journey. So think about how much the vehicles have advanced and then the charging infrastructure in terms of the battery technology, the software uh, that'll help manage the grid, um, you know, the intake into the, the capacity to intake in the vehicle, that's all going to progress as well. So I think they're going to be, you know, technology is going to help a big piece of it. And I, then I do think some of the amenity business models, you know, what is it worth to a supermarket to have, you know, you get a, a charge in the 15, 20 minutes you're doing your grocery shopping if you're a long-term loyal customer. I mean, these, these are all going to get worked out and we're involved in a bunch of those discussions today. Good. I love learning about this. This is really good. Okay. Now, what about these public charging stations 
they're behind a business, they're out in the middle of a parking lot, you get there at night, it's dark, you're all alone. Uh, you know, especially I think for a woman, Sarah, that's that's not a safe feeling place to go to. What can be done about that? Is this something that's going to change in the future? Yeah, you paint a stark picture there, John. <laughs> I would say- I only um, paint that because I've encountered it myself. Okay, no, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. I'm sure there are some experiences like that. You know, as, as Mark said, you know, we're trying to figure out where public chargers can go in a way that is most convenient. Um, but it's also safe, of course. And so like, I really like like where grocery stores have them in, those parking lots are really well lit. Um, but I think it's it's gonna be evolving as we go. Looking at the safety of these areas is just as important for us as the, the convenience of it. So mm -hmm. I think when I look at the ones that we've installed so far, almost all of them have been very co-located. There's a site host that is invested in getting that in where whether it's a gas station or a retailer. So I, I think, you know, there's there's going to be solutions for that. I don't know particularly, but I, um, about the safety piece. But I know that there's a number of solutions out there to help you find a charger. Um, and so I could see a solution popping up where that's a part of the rating. Hmm. Yeah, John, and I, I believe to this point, um, the, the people put them where they could put them. So if it was part of the expenses, do you have adequate for DC charger? Do you have adequate access to the transformer that can deliver the current? Uh, into it, so so it may be access to the to the electrical source. But if you think there might be, by some estimates, forty thousand DC fast chargers in the U.S. now, there needs to be several million minimum uh, to support, you know, the kind of transformation in the U.S. fleet that we're talking about. So they're going to come into the mainstream, uh, and then some of the solutions that I'm talking about will make that easier, where you don't have to be right next to a a transformer where it's stored energy. There's going to be mobile trailers that'll have huge battery stacks that will be able to park in a, <clears throat> think about a stadium, a football stadium. You know, I'm a big football fan. Uh, you know, whether it's high school, college, pros, there's a big hockey, minor league hockey near my home in, in, in uh, Northville. Those are only getting used, you know, a third of the, a third of the year, you know, maybe 30, 40 events a year. The rest of it's just a parking lot. Those could all become EV charging depots mm -hmm. with, with, you know, either a mobile technology or permanent uh, stations and so these kind of business models, I believe, once there's enough of a car park to have utilization rates go up where it makes it profitable, then you're going to start seeing them sprouting all over. And then think about the U.S. gas stations. I believe there's 120,000 of them. I mean, when you get to a point where the it's 25% EVs, does 25% of their island space need to be? You know, does if if a gas station has four islands with two pumps, does one of those islands and two of them need to become charging stations? Probably. Uh, you know, so these sorts of things are going to get, they're going to get sorted out. I mean, it's a great thing about America is we, you know, we tend to follow the avenues of commerce and opportunity. And I think that'll happen here as well. In fact, I'm sure it will. How do we get more gas stations to, to start putting in these chargers? And here's why I'm asking. Gas stations, as you all know, don't really make their money selling gasoline or diesel fuel. They make it selling cigarettes, lottery tickets, and beer. So how do public charging stations compete against that? When gasoline is the loss leader, could we see that sort of thing with EV charging stations? I, I don't think there's any question. We're working with uh, a few uh, either entrepreneur investors or companies right now that are looking at a, you know, lack of a better term, an EV depot. Like think of it as a, like a rest stop on the on the highways that would have, you know, really good infrastructure in terms of multiple DC fast chargers, but would also have Wi-Fi, convenience store. 
et cetera, you know, uh, you know, place to, to, to walk your dog, et cetera. So those business models are going to emerge. Uh, I think a big chunk of it is how well does the government deploy the infrastructure money that's, you know, the billions of dollars and, you know, do, do, do states, you know, become very proactive in working with the utilities and working with uh, private, uh, you know, uh, companies and what have you to, you know, on, on cooperative efforts to get that done. Sir, how about consumers? Are you looking at the sort of thing of uh, making charging stations that don't just have to sell electricity to make money? Well, you know, certainly that's part of how we think about SiteHouse. Um, that's not part of our business model as the as the utility provider, but um, we have seen a number of our site hosts that have wanted to install chargers are gas station owners. Um, others are other retailers who want to encourage people to stay a little longer. So I do think that that's already emerging, as Mark is saying. Um, I think a bigger thing that we look at is how are they all connected to help people have that story of how do I get from one to the other? And so that's a big thing we think about. Um, and actually, just last week, there was an exciting announcement about the National Electric Highway Coalition. Sure. And so... This was a whole bunch of utilities that raised their hands and said, we're going to figure out how to do this all together. Uh, and so Consumers Energy is one of the, the founding members of that coalition. Um, and that's been really exciting. because what we're looking at is how do we connect the dots for people who are doing that road trip? And one of the most specific ones is across state lines. It'd be way too easy just to think about our territory. But how do you understand, you know, five miles over the state line? What's the support over there? So we've been really excited and thinking about it more from that perspective. That's very exciting, Sarah. I had I was not aware of that that utilities across the country are getting together to to really make EV charging a reality. Absolutely, it actually started as three different coalitions. There was the North South, the East West, and then the California one. And last year, um, it was like, hey, why don't we bring this all together? So just last week, we officially announced that there's a national effort here of over 50 utilities. Um, to be part of it, you had to already have shown that you're committed to getting char chargers installed and that you have utility programs for EVs. And then moving forward, we've committed to making sure, like I was saying, we, we look at the holistic map and how a customer or a driver would think about it to make sure that there's that support across the country. Mm -hmm. Mark, I love what you're saying about fast chargers. You know, if you can park overnight, uh, charge at home. In fact, right beyond the wall here of our studio, we've got a level two charger. Uh, it's great because, you know, if I'm test driving an electric car, I'm here for eight hours. It's pretty much going to be charged up by the time um, I've got to go home. But I, I've heard that uh, through uh, some excellent research from a company called Escalant, it's saying now that, you know, everyone's talked about range anxiety. They're saying, no, 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 no. Charging time charging anxiety is the new range anxiety have you guys run into that and is that why you keep emphasizing fast charging yeah absolutely well i mean just think you know we're all victims of our own personal experience uh, you know I, I i get bored pumping gas for three minutes let alone to sit there for you know you know look at them but thank god now we got these iphones so you're never you can always stay busy but but um yeah i mean i think the standard it needs to be, you know, 100 miles in 10 minutes. There's technology out there that can do that. Now, the vehicles have – not every vehicle can accept it, but I think all of the, of the uh, OEMs are marching toward having the technology where they can accept it. But, uh, you know, that's that's not unreasonable if you can get – you know, I, I think uh, you, we, we don't need to think about a full 300-mile charge if you're going to, a you know, a, a, a public station. But to top off for 80, 90, 100, 125 miles in 10 minutes – 
is very reasonable. But I think the public really wants to know and have a visual that these are readily available. Because even if you got a three, you wake up in the morning with a three hundred mile charge, and you're living in 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 Los Angeles, and you're going to drive to Las Vegas that day. If it's hot and you got to run the AC and you're listening to the radio and it's slightly uphill the whole way to Vegas from Los Angeles, you might only have 200 miles range or 175 because of the other load characteristics in the vehicle. So for the, you know, for the public, so that that person in California to know that every 20 miles on Highway 10 uh, from L.A. to Vegas has, you know, fast charging stations where in 10 minutes I can get 100 miles, 125 miles, that'll satisfy most people. And I think that's kind of the network that needs to be developed in addition to uh, you know, the, the, the things around the models around fast food restaurants and grocery stores and big box retail and your office building and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, just to put a, a fine point on what we've kind of been circling around is that this is a very big change <laughs> um, in not just in cars, but in how we move around and how we think about our days. And we're, we're kind of mentioning these different parts of it, but there's a huge mind shift to this as well. And the different business models are evolving. So I love Mark's point about how you have to think about, you know, the two, the 300 miles. I mean, a lot of us don't even think about our drives in terms of mileage today. We think about it in terms of hours. And so even that's right. a mind shift, you know, that, you know, we're going to be evolving as we go. I think John too, you know, I'm a big history buff and, you know, the, the, the vehicle got invented. And then of course, Henry Ford kind of automated the assembly line and made it available to the masses back in the early 1900s. And the infrastructure wasn't there either then uh, in terms of, you know, but Eisenhower put in the interstate highway system, gas stations popped up first, you know, locally, and then, you know, across that interstate highway system. And then we became, you know, you know, a crazy auto-driven culture that uh, you and I have spent our whole careers uh, in or following. And, I, you know, there wasn't any going back to the horses then just because it was hard to do. I mean, we was, we was going to move ahead with automobiles and the electric revolution's coming. I mean, we can argue about how quick, how fast, uh, how expensive, uh, but it's coming. And America will respond, I think, the way we always have with a lot of innovation and cooperation. And this infrastructure will go in. I'm not smart enough to tell you the inflection point, but it's coming. It's within a couple, three years in terms of a lot of deployment of charging infrastructure. And then I think really pretty mass adoption, especially if the OEMs and government working together can get the vehicle price points low enough to get really mainstream adoption in the like kind of small utility, small sedan, you know, part of the market. They're fabulous vehicles to drive. Uh, they're better for the economy, uh, excuse me, for the environment. And, uh, and I think these are going to spur a lot of great uh, innovation, creation of jobs, this whole infrastructure and, and conversion over. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited about it. You know, that's a great part point, Mark, about uh, the early days of the automobile. There were no gas stations. Or roads. And, and in fact, you, you had to go to uh, a general store or a pharmacy and you bought gasoline right. in these big two-gallon glass uh, jugs kind of thing. And, you know, imagine trying to lift that and pour that, you know, it was a mess. And yet people wanted those cars. And because the demand was there for the cars, the gas stations came along. I think the same will happen with electrics as well. Absolutely. Great analogy. Sarah, what about at a local level? So, you know, uh, what if you live in a subdivision and all of a sudden your neighbor buys an electric car and you got to keep up with the Joneses and you buy one and everybody else does what about at that subdivision level? Can can the subdivision take that all of a sudden big increase in electrical mm-hmm. load? 
Yeah, it's a great question, John. That is where we would expect to see the first impacts, like tightening of, of capacity is that that local sub, yeah, sub level. Um, and so, yeah, we have to look at that really closely. I think we consumers have already been doing a lot of upgrades over the years for those um, substations, but that's where we're, we're tracking very closely. Where are EVs going on the grid? Where might there be a substation that's going to get overwhelmed soon? If there is, how do we either upgrade it or um, to Mark's point, it kind of started hitting at like what we can do with batteries, like maybe there's solutions there too. Um, so I think that there's a lot of moving parts with this. But yeah, I think that that substation level is where we need to see uh, the most attention to, to handle the capacity. Agreed. And then, Sarah, going back to the fast chargers, is that what Consumers Energy is really pushing as you, you co uh, cooperate with others to build out a charging infrastructure, an emphasis on fast chargers for public charging? Well, I think when we look at it, um, what we would most prefer is that everyone's charging overnight <laughs> because that is like the, the most manageable. We've got the extra energy ready to go. We can predict it. But of course, for all the reasons we've said, that's not possible for everyone. So we do want to make sure that there's fast chargers out there for those who need them, level twos for those who can wait a little longer. So we want to support in all three areas. It's just a matter of um, planning and preparing for that. Yeah, great point about charging overnight. That's my understanding is that nationwide, if uh, the utilities can incentivize EV owners to charge at night, it, it's pretty easy to handle. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to oversimplify all the engineers I work with, their jobs, but yes. <laughs> um, you know, the grid is built to handle that peak load, which historically has been between 3 to 5 p.m. when everyone comes home and turns on their lights and starts cooking dinner. So we are prepared to handle that load, which in the middle of the night is nowhere near that. So there's all that load that's ready to go. So yeah, that would be the ideal time. And that's the most cost effective time for people to charge, which is why you see those cheaper residential overnight rates. Yeah. Um, but like I said, we uh, that's not going to be the case for everyone. And so we need to be prepared um, through access to chargers, perhaps new rates. I also mentioned with solar, that could change the dynamic as well. You could end up with a lot of power in the middle of the afternoon yeah, because of solar. Yeah. So it's a moving target. And, and as, I, as I mentioned, John, some of the companies- Real quick, Mark, we got to wrap it up quick. Oh, I was saying the companies, we're, a lot of the companies working with have that storage capability to fill the, you know, the capacity, the box at night and then dispense at any time the customer wants during the day. So that's, they'll kind of work hand in glove with the residential solutions. Well, good. We're going to have to wrap it up. Sarah Nielsen, Mark Lenave, thanks so much for your time. Very educational for me, and I'm sure for the audience as well. Wonderful. Thank thanks, you, John. John. Pleasure. <laughs>